0: To Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, everyone. It's Elaney. I am the executive producer of Where Brains Meet Beauty, and I'm happy to be back to chat with Jody today. How's everyone doing? Hi, Elaney. Hi. How's your week?
1: Busy. I have um, spring break on my mind, even though it's a few weeks
0: away. Oh my gosh, that's nice. It is the season. I feel like all my Instagram ads is like spring break fashion and everything happening in that world. Warm weather seems nice. <laughs> I
1: speak of um, spring break fashion. So we're going to be at Disney as usual. And I always aspire to be like cute at Disney, but it's just not realistic. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. I don't know how you maintain like a cute look all day long when you're like exhausted um, yeah. and on and off a ride.
0: Right. And like hot and sweaty. I saw one Instagrammer, she has like young kids and she did a Disney trip just recently. She gets up at like 5am and does like her whole hair and makeup routine. She's like, even though it's the most exhausting day I just feel better when I'm put together and she looked really good by the end of the day actually so (laughs) kudos to her but seems
1: tough yeah maybe I will if I can get it together maybe I'll plan for one day to have like a real look you know Um, and then the rest of the time I will definitely just be in my t-shirt and shorts. are you doing rent the runway for your trip oh that's a good idea okay maybe I can have one rent the runway look of course, I have to wear it with sneakers because, yeah. you know, the only thing to wear. Uh-huh. But maybe I can engineer one cute Run the Runway Disney day look.
0: Love it. Speaking of fashion and all things fashion, I feel like my feed has been even overpopulated with like the Oscars and all of the amazing looks that we saw there. Did you watch? I did. I've
1: actually never been like a huge award show person. But I did watch and I'm so glad I did.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I actually, I don't watch like from start to finish anymore. I feel like it's so easy just and so immediate to just see things on Instagram. So I usually just will see clips and my mom usually sends me a ton of different things um, outfits wise. But yeah, there were so many great looks, I think. And I've been like scrolling and scrolling, but I think my favorite look was Angela Bassett in the purple with like the big sleeves and the stunning color on her. I love purple. I met her once. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So cool. Where was that?
1: Well, we're not like friends, but I (laughs) did meet her once, which was really cool. And she's gorgeous as you would expect.
0: That's amazing. Did you have any favorite looks or moments from the Oscars?
1: Yes. And it's a perfect segue to beauty because, um, you know, Lady Gaga's incredible and her red carpet look was stunning. But I thought the most amazing thing was how she disarmed everybody by having a, an unlook. Um, when yeah. she performed, right? So it just totally ties in with the get unready with me that we mm-hmm. talk about so much at the agency. The fact that she was scrub clean of all makeup was incredible and so powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. She's so real and raw. And I feel like she loves that like whole stripped down sound for her voice and her music and then tying it in with her look was just it really like brought us all to that level of just really appreciating the sound. Amazing.
1: And I loved how all the chatter at that moment was, wait, how did she get all this makeup off? Uh-huh. Like, I mean, I try to scrub right. makeup off. And that's like one of my least favorite things about wearing a full face of makeup, which I don't do very often. But if I'm like at an event, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, I dread going home to try to scrub this all off. And of course, my eyes look like crazy red afterwards and right. stuff. But she managed a real feat. You know under I know. yeah.
0: I hope there is. I haven't seen it, maybe it already exists, but I hope there is behind the scenes footage of that process because that is really amazing <laughs> for whatever makeup. So artist. much eyeliner
1: on, like <laughs> I can't even believe.
0: Usually, you get like all the eyeliner crud, like right stuck on the uh-huh. um, like in the corners of your eye, but no, uh-huh. she was clean. She looked amazing. So, who's on the docket for
1: this week? Okay, this was such a fun episode. It is really kind of amaze- amazing this is episode 227 and like i keep hearing brand new stories right you'd think that i would hear the same thing over and over again at this point right. um so this this is paul bake he's the ceo of matter of fact which is a skincare brand and we spoke at length about his life before skincare he has a fascinating story about being a super passionate fan of k-pop and somehow. Um, Which is so amazing. He finagled a summer internship in South Korea, just so that he can be boots on the ground in that country to be able to spend his weekends auditioning for K-pop companies. And Eleni, he got himself a five-year contract as a solo artist in Korea.
0: That is truly incredible. And I need to know what the secret sauce is. So I will definitely be listening to this conversation. Wow. He's
1: super sweet, humble guy. He just like loves to have his nose in books about skincare and skincare chemistry. Um, And to have this backstory. I mean, it was so fun. And we played an amazing game. So um, all of our listeners, if you're listening on the podcast app, you have to go to Instagram to see this game. Um, Natasha, our producer, invented it. And I'm going to maybe butcher the name of it. But basically, it's, is this a lipstick name or K-pop song?
0: <laughs> That's so fun.
1: <laughs> it's genius. Um, okay, you ready to listen to the episode, Eleni? Let's jump in, yeah. Okay, so this is episode 227, Paul Bake, CEO, of Matter of Facts. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's really like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we have someone who went from K-pop star to founder and formulator of Matter of Fact, Paul Bake. After a five-year music contract in Korea, how did he come to skincare for his next move? We're going to find out. I'm excited to learn all the details. This is episode 227. Hi, Paul. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm so glad that we're here together today. This is going to be very fun. So I want to start with my favorite question. It's always my first question of guests since we're a career journey show. Let's go back in time to like your 11, 12 year old self. What did you dream about being when you grew up for a career?
2: So actually my first love was painting and drawing and so I actually wanted to be an artist and um, you know growing up uh, uh, my family didn't have much but we did uh, you know you don't need very much to, to paint and draw and so you know the backs of A4 printer paper that had typos or errors on it and being able to, to paint and draw on, on those uh, those sheets so that was that was what I wanted to be when I was a child was as an artist.
1: Do you see any correlation between um, being an artist as a kid to what you're doing today, matter of fact?
2: Yes. I mean, I think definitely there's a similarity in that um, painting and drawing and then formulating skincare, it taps into the same basic instinct to create, uh, to create something beautiful that other people will enjoy. Um, and I do think that there's something really transformative and life-affirming about Creating something that's beautiful, something that you covet, and that that can spark joy in other people, um, and so that's as true as it is for a painting or drawing, as it is for a piece of music or, you know, a beautiful serum or cream.
1: Okay, so let's talk about um, what I think is so fun um, that you had a whole career in K-pop before being, you know, a skincare expert um, and having a brand. Um, We need to understand, like, how did this get started? I mean, you grew up in the U.S., so right, like, you were like a transplant to the K-pop world. So, take us um, from the beginning.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I I was born and raised in the deep south um, to two parents who immigrated from South Korea before I was born, Um, and we were around lots of warm, wonderful people, but there wasn't much of a Korean community where I grew up. Um, But I have an older sister, and she went to college in New York City, and she came back home when I was 12 on her winter break with CDs of uh, K-pop music and music videos, and I remember just being sort of enthralled with it, right? And this is the late 90s, so this was before K-pop became sort of the global phenomenon that it is now. Um, and I think something about seeing artists who looked like me uh, on stage, uh, creating and performing music that, you know, was across all genres, rock, adult contemporary, hip-hop, R&B, dance, um, that it was just, it was exciting, it was electrifying. And I think it it, it reminded me that there is a bigger world outside of what I saw in my everyday life and made me hungry to get closer to that music that was so meaningful to me. So I uh, sent in some tapes, demo tapes, uh, the first year of college during winter break, actually, and now I'm dating myself because they were VHS tapes. Um, <laughs> and uh, got uh, word back, and they wanted to see me in person. So I was able to get an internship in South Korea that summer after my freshman year, where I got my airfare and housing paid for, so I could go and then meet these music producers in person. Um, and and I got my record deal the summer before my senior year. So I stayed in touch, and then that's when I got the contract. It was a a five-year, four-album contract, and so that's how that happened.
1: So it's so much tenacity, Paul, to say to yourself, "I'm in school full-time, but I'm going to um, find a way to get an internship in in Korea so that I can have, a, you know, a closer relationship to the, these record labels, right, and be in front of them." It's really wild to think that someone as young as you were would be able to engineer this opportunity to happen? Like, what do you think was inside of you at that time that told you like, go for it. You can do this. Why not?
2: I mean, I think it was, uh, that feeling electricity first and foremost, you know, it was, I was like a moth to a flame. I just, and I don't think I could have explained it at the time. It's just, I needed to, I needed to do it. I needed to get closer to this music that meant so much to me. And I wanted to make music that or anything beautiful that other people might give other people that same kind of feeling of hope and inspiration, and so I think it was just instinctual. Also, I was young, and so you know there was probably a more of a fearless quality <laughs> that I had in in youth, um, and so uh, I think yeah, those were those were probably the the main factors. Um, I also think that when you're young you feel that you don't have as much to lose uh, because it's at the beginning of your life. And so risks seem exciting <laughs> more than they do scary. Um, and so I just, I just really, really felt compelled to, to get there. And so that's, that's what I did. And I wasn't you know, uh, properly trained vocally uh, before, before I auditioned and before I went to Korea, but I just thought, let me try, what, what harm could there be?
1: I love this tenacity, and I'm curious, did you tell the people in your lives that what you were trying to engineer, that you were purposeful about taking in a job in Korea so you could be closer to the labels?
2: Yeah, so that internship was actually with a mental health facility associated with the World Health Organization. So I was working with doctors and other clinicians, and um, such wonderful, smart, talented people But really, you know, when they asked, okay, what are you going to do this weekend? Um, You know, uh, it's it's another week. oh, I'm going to go to downtown Seoul to uh, an audition. An audition for what? Uh, uh, To become a K-pop singer. And uh, they thought I was joking at first. And then they thought it was just, you know, very, very wild. Um, But I was, I guess I didn't, I guess because I was, young and fearless at that time, I didn't feel the need to feel self-conscious about it, I guess. And so I was I was um, maybe more open than <laughs> some people might have been.
1: I love this because um, there's so much vulnerability in being honest about it, right? Like it would have been very easy for you to like just sort of hide it and not be willing to be vulnerable. But, you know, it's something I crave. Like I love being vulnerable now, but I wasn't um, courageous enough to be it earlier in my career. Um, and I love hearing these stories. It makes me so happy to hear young people just putting it all out there and not um, spending all that time worrying about things that there's really no reason to worry about.
2: Oh, yes. I mean, um, you know, sometimes, especially when things are challenging, uh, tapping into the instinct to create and to pursue can be very energizing and healing. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I don't know. I found it to be true in my, my own life.
1: So I'm, I want to stay in this topic because I do think that there's so many parallels to what you're doing right now. When you were in the world of K-pop, you were a solo act. Yes. Right? That is so much pressure. And like, I don't know, obviously, firsthand the pressure, but I did see K-pop, the Broadway musical. And <laughs> I think it spoke to a lot of like the intensity of, um, you know, having to like, you know, you're not just performing for your audience, but you're performing for all the people who are working on your program right it's um seems really intense so take us back a little bit about like what it was like to be a solo performer in this world and also you weren't born there right um and i imagine that there were some challenges or things people had to say
2: oh yes i mean there was um a period of cultural adjustment and not just to korean culture per se but to the culture of korean entertainment and to korean music right um there's a specific culture instead of um unspoken rules that you know you abide by in any industry or category. And um, you know I had been asked to learn more Korean, and also to learn Japanese, actually, um, while I was still a student after that first audition. And so that's what I did. And the Korean that I learned in the classroom was wonderful. And we discussed topics like global warming in Korean. Um, but I didn't know any of the slang uh, or any of the, the music lingo um, when I first arrived in Korea after graduating from college and, uh, you know, doing music full time. And so having to uh, to to learn some of the lingo took some time. And then also, and you alluded to this um, somewhat, and right, and there are so many talented uh, K-pop artists who are part, a part of that production <laughs> that you were able to attend. When you're a music artist at least in Korea but I imagine in all industries around the world you're not just a person but you're a product and that can be tough and so learning to be both a person and a product but also in a language that um, I had become fluent in but wasn't my first language uh, it was challenging sometimes um, but I think it's been so helpful in some ways because it's like learning how to run on sand on the beach. And if you can run in sand, then running on a, a flat <laughs> solid surfaces is comparatively much easier. Um, and so, so yes, there were, some, there were some challenges and difficulties, um, but you know, I recently heard that uh, sometimes the more challenging an experience, the sweeter or warmer the memory, so.
1: I love that, and it's a perfect segue to moving into the world of being a skincare entrepreneur. you know you're a solo artist in the k-pop world. you were um a transplant to Korea, right so an outsider in the sense so you know you're moving in the skincare world where you're an entrepreneur so you're you know solo act and also you know you weren't you didn't start your career in skincare right so also an outsider so let's 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 bridge the um the gap between k-pop world and skincare world. How did you fall into the space of leading a skincare brand?
2: Yes, I mean it was a it was a bit circuitous, but I've always had extremely extremely acne prone, and I still do have very acne prone uh, skin. And so when I first went to Korea, you know, I was being sent to the dermatologist sometimes multiple times a week um, because as the product uh, it wasn't acceptable. You know, uh, the state of my skin was not. Acceptable as judged by my management. And, uh, you know, not having immediate family or friends in Korea, I, I felt that all of my fears and anxiety were apparent on my face. And that can feel very vulnerable. And this is back in 2008. So it's before we had all of these wonderful online skincare communities that we have now. But just by chance, you know, I, through searching online, found a little forum. And on the civil Forum, there was a, a veteran cosmetic formulator in Europe who was just volunteering her time to help people with their concerns and educate them about various aspects of skincare formulation. And she helped me get my routine in order uh, fairly quickly. Um, you know, back then, I think probably there were a lot of people like me who thought if you could scrub away, the acne or use the harsher the treatment, the better. And um, I was using a cleanser that was way too stripping. Uh, I wasn't balancing those anti-acne actives with more nourishing, uh, soothing uh, ingredients and products. And uh, also I wasn't using sun protection, uh, which is thankfully was much more common in Korea than it was in the US at the time. So there was a lot of reinforcement from my environment as well. But that's how my interest in skincare first started. Uh, And spending my days in Korean music and Korean entertainment, you know, entertainment is an area where sometimes perception matters a lot more than facts. And so being able to read these materials about skincare that this online friend, who later became my uh, instructor in cosmetic formulation, uh, was providing me with was, it was comforting. It was comforting to read those textbooks and those articles that she would suggest that I read to learn more. And, and that's where it started. So for 10 years, really, it was just a wonderful, relaxing uh, hobby. Uh, and I didn't imagine that it would become my profession.
1: It's so interesting that you're describing reading textbooks and like scientific articles about um, skincare product formulation as like, you know, your downtime, <laughs> you know, your like chill out time. I, I don't know that there's many people, you know, out there who would say the same.
2: <laughs> well, I think, um, I don't know if I'm an introvert by nature. And so spending a lot of time with wonderful people in the recording studio or out on the road performing or doing performances for radio or television, you know, it was, it was sometimes overstimulation. And so I think that's part of why it was fun and restorative to sit down with a, with a book and just to, to read in bed.
1: I love that. Okay. So you started to go down almost like the rabbit hole of, you know, skincare formulation. When did you decide this might be, you know, The next phase of your career
2: oh my goodness i mean after after k-pop and uh i went to business school and uh did a joint degree program um i thought i would go back into music um but on the business side fate had other plans and i started learning about the startup space that's where my first job out of business school led me and meeting you know wonderful founders who are trying to change their categories in the world and in various ways, it was really eye-opening. And I had no formal background in business. So I was a you know, fish out of water trying to learn as much as I could um, in that environment as well. Uh, but after, I think, two or three years of working with, with founders and working with startups, I had been encouraged by several friends and, and former colleagues to think about starting something of my own. And in business school, when we had to take aptitude tests, I scored dead last in entrepreneurship. Um, I think which made sense. I was, you know, I just left K-pop. I had taken this big risk. I thought, you give me health benefits and a nine to five, and I'm good to go. Um, And so taking another big risk wasn't really in my plans at the time. But um, thankfully, people were so encouraging. and. I thought, well, the only thing that I've looked at for the past 10 years between 2008 and 2018 when I founded, matter of fact, had been my nighttime reading, had been my nighttime reading and about skincare. And so I thought, well, what's the harm in trying? And in the first two years, two and a half years, really it was a very, 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 uh, how should I say this, bootstrapped uh, operation. It was a team of one in you know, shared lab space in East LA. Um, renting the space for a few hundred dollars a month and uh, buying basic equipment and doing as much as I could by myself. And I think part of that was, I was very painfully aware that uh, this wasn't the area in which I had spent many professional years in. Um, and, And I also, I thought, let me try to do as much as I can by myself with my own two hands. Before I ask other people to take a risk and helping me bring this idea this dream to fruition, I thought that's the least I could do uh, before asking others to um, spend their time and energy with me because you know those things are precious and so that's how it, it sort of started.
1: I want to go back to business school a second because I imagine you're probably one of the few people in your cohort, who had a career as an entertainer, you know, in front of the camera, Um, you probably, um, I would imagine your peers had already spent many years in business or other industries. What was that like for you to like walk into this brand new world, right? Like for the second time in your life, right? You walked into K-pop for the first time in your life on your own. And now here you are in business school with a cohort that's probably very, very much not similar to yours.
2: Oh, it was very intimidating. And I had underestimated the amount of verse culture shock that I experience because i had spent five years you know in korean music and uh and i had simply thought that i had learned a, you know new skills i had added new tools to my toolkit and i think in some ways didn't realize how much i had adjusted or changed during that five-year period and so coming back and being surrounded by really really smart talented folks who had spent Three, four, five, six, seven years in the professional workforce in finance and consulting in tech—it um, was intimidating. A lot of the coursework for me was new, and for them it was more of a refresher. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it was—it was definitely very, very intimidating in in many ways, and also being asked to be the product for so long. My opinion wasn't always valued,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so being around Type A, extremely smart, sometimes you know very straightforward uh, uh, peers, I could feel their frustration with me sometimes. What, what are you actually thinking? <laughs> stop being so congenial
1: (laughs) because in the in the k-pop world you probably have to be so measured right like if you didn't agree with something or didn't feel right my guess is being measured and really thoughtful in the way that you approach getting from point a to point b was the only way that you were going to be able to have an impact right like throwing a fit or being direct probably would have um backfired
2: exactly and and you also want to be sensitive to the wonderful people who are listening to and supporting your music. And for me, that spanned people in their early teens all the way to their parents. And so that's a very, very wide net. And and you want to make sure that you make everyone feel comfortable, that you're sensitive to all of their feelings.
1: Well, I think that's actually like a perfect next step to the topic I want to cover now, which is your leadership and management style right? So you were like hyper-managed in the K-pop world. (laughs) Then you met people who were like, you know, just sort of like going after whatever they wanted, probably didn't matter what gets in the way. Business school, that's a lot of different points of view. How would you summarize your leadership and management style now running this business?
2: Oh, I mean, I think first and foremost, very much a work in progress. This is, you know, my first time at this rodeo. But I think it's hard to underestimate the importance of being warm and compassionate because in music to get a a piece of music to market requires the blood sweat and tears of so many people and it's the same with a skincare product and in order for people to do their best work you have to foster an environment where people can be creative where they can be cooperative and collaborative and if it's an environment of fear you know, those things get stifled. And so I think first and foremost, I always try to be sensitive and warm to the wonderful people I have the privilege of working with so that we can, we can come together and bring beautiful products to market and give beautiful experiences to, to our customers. Um, but, but that's, that's probably a big part of my style. I think sometimes I still have trouble saying no, <laughs> it's a vestige of my time in music, I guess, uh, but I have wonderful, wonderful teammates from whom I learn every single day and uh, who also model such kind but clear communication too and so that's something that I feel so lucky uh, to be surrounded by and so increasingly you know as as my uh, one of my wonderful teammates as clear as kind try to to lead with with warmth and compassion, and then working on on clarity. And sometimes when saying no is the right thing to be able to say that as well.
1: So the last um, topic I wanna cover on the interview portion of our show is this idea of success being seductive. So after 225 episodes of the show, I've seen a pattern in myself and um, our peers in the industry that like when we get a little taste of success, we want more and more and more. And I would imagine this is very much true in the K-pop world. Right, um, you know, fulfilling the needs of your audience, right, would lead to more success. I'm wondering, like, how that seduction of success impacts you now as you're growing the business. I'm sure you're seeing yourself reach your goals and then move move the goalpost. So, um, how does this affect you now, and has it impact maybe like your life outside of work?
2: That's a hard question. I think in in many ways, I. The different chapters in my life have been so different from each other. You know, growing up in a small town in the deep south, going to a big university in New England, culture shock, right, being surrounded by such brilliant, talented students, then K-pop, and then business school, and then the startup world. I think one really big benefit from that has been learning that as seductive as our ideas of success can be, it's rarely as sweet and satisfying as we anticipate it being, and in all of these different environments and different, you know, cultures, uh, and and experiencing various uh, episodes of some small successes, some big failures, um, that's become clear to me. It's one of the reasons why I so love being in the lab making things, because there's a more lasting satisfaction that comes from the process of creating things and being creative, at least for me, in my experience, than hitting a particular milestone. Of course, we all have responsibilities to our families, our loved ones, people who take bets on us and support us, and we want to be able to create something that can benefit them as well. Uh, but I think that's that's how I, I keep the Seductiveness of success in check. We're trying to remember that the process of creation that can sometimes lead to those successes uh, is much more satisfying for me, at least in the long term.
1: Right, the journey is really where the fun is, where the memories are. Those goals—they're just moments, right—and they're pretty fleeting.
2: Yeah, and it's dangerous to build your identity on them as well, because you know every success, given enough time. It fades. And what happens to your sense of self when that happens?
1: It's just so seductive. You know, it's like um, sugar. You know, it's like you have some and your body needs more and it craves it. Um, And I find it a kind of fascinating phenomenon to set boundaries for yourself and kind of humble yourself a little bit.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Well, Paul, this is such a fun conversation interview. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. Oh, thank
2: you so much for having me. And, you know, this is just my experience. So I hope that it's, it it may be helpful or, you know, insightful in some sort of way to to those tuning in.
1: So thank you all for joining and listening in. As always, make sure you're following us on Instagram to stay up to date on our upcoming lives and all the fun we have along the way. And Paul, thank you again for joining us. Bye, everybody.
2: Thank you. Bye.